As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, along with the GM, Randy Mueller. How are you, Randy? Doing good, Mike. A little under the weather this week, so I'm anxious oh. to do this and take my mind off being sick, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, you're looking good. Looks like you got a haircut. You know, I couldn't tell you were <laughs> sick. I don't think anyone's going to be able to tell on the broadcast. You, you, you can talk hurt, right? I've been told I was sick before with clear takes on certain things, so... <laughs> Now it's legitimate. I'll be I'll be uh, not not one hundred percent, but I feel good. I can tell you what the AFC North doesn't want to hear it, Randy. They got their own oh, issues, uh, a lot no more kidding. serious than uh, you know than uh, what do you got a cold going or you got a little uh, yeah a little, a little cold tough going? cold yeah tough I'm cold right. yeah. All right, yeah. so so last night or as we record this on Friday, uh, Thursday night we had the Ravens thirty four to twenty, but I don't know if there was any winner <laughs> yeah. in this game or in this whole division. Right now we've got Baltimore eight and three, Cleveland and Pittsburgh six and three, Cincinnati five and five. But there's a lot of oil on the highway, isn't there? There sure is. And how this division has changed just in the last five days, right? I mean, with quarterback injuries to Deshaun and to Burrow, to you know uh, the upsets that the Ravens were taking uh, last week. I mean, it's 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 upside down right now. And your guess is as good as mine going forward. But yes, the Thursday night tilt struck home again from a medical standpoint and between the officiating and the doctors, they took most of the air out of it for me. Ah, a little officiating complaint there. What you didn't like oh that holding gosh. call Come and the on. long touchdown pass or what? Do you, Seriously. Or? Every week it's something, right? And of course the response will be, Hey, our officiating has never been better and blah, blah, blah. I've lost faith in him. And now, and then this, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but you saw the play that Mark Andrews got hurt on. And all the uh-huh, uproar uh-huh. on social media about the tackle, the the hip replacement tackle, or whatever it is. Hip now we're going to let tackle. these. I love it. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to let these officials judge if a tackle is good or not. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not interested in going. Oh there. my! I'm gosh, not putting yeah. one more thing on these officials' plate. They clearly can't handle it. What they have, and now we're going to throw that out there. No, I'm not buying that one. Oh, no doubt about it. I think that's one of the challenges of officiating is the rule book gets thicker and thicker and you you got your you have them doing too many things and then you take them outside of their realm which is 
you know, of course they have to have a certain knowledge of football to do this. You, they have to recognize yeah, formations and all of that. But you start, yeah. you start putting judgment in there on, on what a tackle and intent and all of this type of stuff. It just makes it even worse. We had this down later. Let's have the hip tackle discussion because I would love to know. Is this a new thing? Or is it happening more? Is there a reason? Why are we talking about it? I agree with you 100%. When I saw the tackle, it never came to my mind that it could be termed a dirty play. I've never seen anything like it discussed in any of the meetings I've ever been in. Now, I haven't been in an owner's meeting in a few years, but I can't imagine that this would get a lot of uh, traction outside media or outside social media trying to over-legislate a game that is a contact sport and does have injuries. So I don't know. I just don't understand it. But but here's what I see. I see it through Troy Vincent and the other guys at the league. It's like they have to have some kind of initiative every year to check a box that they made progress towards safety or they made progress towards the excitement of the game. And sometimes you almost run out of things to to add. I mean, it doesn't mean the game's perfect, but like to me, this this one is. Well, I'll say this: this one is opposed by the players' association, which is always there with, uh, you know, with safety issues uh, as they should be. Yep. Whether it's at turf, field, sur- you know the different types of field surface or whether it's concussions in the league, you know, had been trying to downplay that. But even they think that the hip drop tackle should not be outlawed because they don't know how any, how half of their players would be able to play. You can't make a tackle. I totally agree. And I think the fact that it's been named something makes it a target for one thing. I don't like, that's the only thing I agreed with on social media last night was the fact that they've named it and it is a target now because of it has a name. And that makes literally no sense to me at all. Well, John Harbaugh, it was definitely a hip drop tackle. It is being discussed. It's a tough tackle. Was it even necessary in that situation? John Harbaugh of all people. <laughs> Come on, man. Seriously. I know this defenders have to have an option on getting players down. We've already over-legislated the uh, roughing the passer penalties and judged and put, I'll, I'll stick up for the refs in this case, put them in an unwinnable situation. This would be unbelievably out of their norm, out of their legislative possibility, I think. So I, I would be totally against it. Can we just let these guys play a little bit and give the defense a little bit of a chance? I honestly never thought about this ever being illegal or that it was even a thing until I read about it after the game. Well, these teams with their 70-man coaching staffs, I'm, I'm joking, yeah. but you know, we're getting closer <laughs> to 30 than 20 now with the number of people on no a staff. Plus, you have all these, some of the teams have robust analytics departments. Here's my project. If I was truly curious and had the manpower, Hey, go back and watch X number of years of play of football plays, offense, defense, and let's put the different tackle types into buckets, uh, right? Uh, one of them could be, you know, the guy just ran out of bounds and wasn't even impacted. Another one could be that the 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 runner gave himself up. Another one could be a horse collar tackle. Another one could be a quote-unquote hip drop tackle, which we've never even talked about in the past. I would love to know the frequency of this, the number of injuries off of it. Now, that could lead to making stupid rules changes, but I would at least want to know. I'm just kind of curious. Where where was this in all the years of football of being a thing that was suddenly a problem? 
Well, I do believe in this day and age of over-legislating and league office oversight in every regard that the exercise you just mapped out probably is already happening. There's no doubt. There's so many people involved now at the league level that they're going to research this to the nth degree. And uh -huh. some of that is good, obviously. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah I, yeah, I would just like to know. So uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, is this always been a, a problem when you when you look at the injuries? Are they even are the injuries even up? This one of of Mark Andrews really scared me the way he reacted to it, because he went on at his back and then was kind of moving his arms, but he didn't move from like the chest down. And I thought, oh my gosh, what just happened here? Because he literally wasn't moving. So it was actually great to see him get up and uh, and walk off. I did I did raise this on social media, your favorite place there, Randy on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> did you notice that Mark Andrews had to walk upstairs as he left the field? I thought that was kind of weird as he went out the thing. I was like, what are we doing here? Can he not take the elevator? Is that what you meant? Or, that was just <laughs> the fact that it's I on a different story, it. a different floor. Yeah, I understand the player. I love the, hey, you know what? No one's carrying me off this field. I'm walking off. That's always kind of been like a thing. If you can walk off that field, these guys will usually do it. Uh, but then yeah. when I get off the field, I do want to not take the stairs. Uh, to go to wherever that was. <laughs> that was hilarious when they opened the doors, and here's poor Mark Andrews with a bad season-ending ankle injury. He's going to walk up the stairs. Yeah, it's not like we're playing in old Baltimore Memorial Stadium where the pipes come across, <laughs> and you have a whole series of stairs to, to maneuver. You're right. Yeah. These stadiums should be up to, up to speed oh. on at least let the players in cleats yeah. walk on yeah. level ground for the most part to yeah. their locker. I would, yeah, I'd love to know what was going on there. Great stadium, though. Great atmosphere. Wasn't that a great crowd? I, I thought it was really a, yep. a good deal. Now let's get into some of the injuries we talk. We can start with Mark Andrews because you know Baltimore has been a good team, is a good team this year. Had a couple hiccups along the way, uh, but and you had talked. We had had a discussion earlier. You really liked their combination, not just Mark Andrews, but some of the other guys in the receiving department. Uh, now Mark Andrews out for the year. Maybe Randy, they're in better position to weather this because they've gone to three wide receivers more. Is that true to you? Do you think that they can do it, or do you think this is dooming? Well, I think his skill level is it's hard to replace. There's no doubt about that. But they have other options. And you mentioned the three wide receivers. Isaiah likely being the backup is a good player. He could be starting for a lot of places. The other kid from Iowa State, Kohler, who played some in the game last night, another good player. The injury that if you couple it with it, though, that concerns me, and I don't know, I have not seen the the specifics on this, was the OBJ injury at the end of the game. Oh, that yeah. looked to me like that could be severe for, for whatever reason. They, they never, at least I have not read at the taping of this show what that yeah. injury was, but that could be problematic as well in that that's another weapon possibly gone. OBJ downplayed it and said he'll he'll take this extra time and then he'll be okay. But I we all saw how he was walking after the game. Yeah, He was yeah. not moving that arm. Now, we shouldn't probably bring this up because they'll probably create a rule of body weight tackles on wide receivers <laughs> down the field, uh, which, by the way, that... Uh, the Same the guy, guy, right? Same guy did that wiped out like three guys. But yeah. I actually... I would not want anybody to get hurt, but I do think defensively you want people to know you tackled them and, in, in playing the game. And that guy, that tackle, when a receiver gets body weighted like that by a guy with fives on his jersey, that 30 is yards a, downfield, 30 yards downfield. Search and destroy, yeah. make you pay. It was kind of like, whoa. I'll take that anytime on my team. You No doubt. Got me fired I up. I love actually. that. 
I love yeah. that. And it's funny because, you know, living here in Seattle area, I've always marveled at like Tyler Lockett, man. He is, he gives himself up quick because he doesn't want any of that. Like, and sometimes you go, oh, you could have got a couple of extra yards, but you know what? He plays every week. And yeah, I don't know what OBJ right. could have done in this situation because he's trying to leg it out. But that was a tough hit from a much bigger guy. Who was coming full speed. And I was obviously impressed with the way he, he did that and the motor that is, yeah. is attached to that 55 jersey. So I'm, yep. I'm for those plays. I hope we don't find a way to legislate that as well. But yeah. hey, it's 2023 it and, and yeah, we wanna we wanna find ways to cure all ills instead of just yeah. having a having one of your buckets that says shit happens. <laughs> it does, and it has for Joe Burrow as well. Let's talk about this injury a lot bigger. Probably the biggest injury uh, going in the league right now, uh, Joe Burrow. And we all kind of saw uh, the situation in the game on the sideline. You knew it was a problem when he tried to throw and the ball fell straight to the ground and he, he let out a obvious expletive for him. There's no sugarcoating what's going on here for them, right? No, except that the, the injury itself and the mystery behind it, I think, will cause as big a stir as the injury itself. Um Let's just keep it on the field for for the, this part of the discussion. I think it. I mean, it may not end Cincinnati's season, but I think it ends their playoff run if Joe Burrow misses an extensive amount of time. I mean, we all love Jake Browning in the Northwest. We saw him playing at Washington for four years, but as an NFL starting quarterback for multiple weeks, I just don't think that's going to happen uh, for them. So it is a giant loss that I'm not. I really don't have a lot of doubt that they can't overcome. So that's part of it. The mystery, like I said, of when he really heard it, when it was an issue. I'll let you describe to our listeners kind of what transpired before that yeah. when he got into town and all that. Yeah, I'm a little bit torn on this one. Uh, so they showed you know him getting off the bus and he had some kind of a little brace maybe on his throwing hand, maybe more of a wrist type of a brace. And then there was a really... Actually, an interesting discussion on um, social media that came out of this, and I thought it was interesting. I think we saw, uh, you know, some people saying, "Oh my gosh, this is a huge violation." They were hiding an injury, and then there were uh, others. I believe uh, Mitch Schwartz, the former player, or it was a former player, whoever it was, mm -hmm. was a former player, was saying, "Hey, look, everybody's got something every week here." And I go back to when I was a beat reporter, and I could, you'd watch practice back then, and you you would see things that you, you know, you couldn't always report every detail of everything you saw in practice, right? If they were working on a trick play or something, you, you you're sworn to secrecy that we're not going to write about that that week. Well, the injury thing was always kind of, you know, could be sometimes a point of dispute between the media and the team over, hey, what can we report? And the team would often say, uh, look. If the player isn't limited in practice, if he takes all his reps, we don't, we're not putting down a hangnail or certainly there used to be back in the day if your quarterback had injured ribs or something, you, you didn't want to put that out there. So if the guy practiced all of practice, it's like, hey, we don't have to put him on the report. That is kind of the interesting part of this to me uh, because there are a lot of guys who practice and don't miss a play and they probably don't put on the report. But when you get the scrutiny and it's a quarterback and it's his throwing hand or it's Bijan Robinson, somebody who's you know a prominent player in Atlanta, they had a little bit of an issue with the reporting of it. And now there's gambling involved, a lot of, a lot of that. Uh, maybe the stakes are higher and maybe, maybe, the, maybe more stuff needs to be put on there. What do you think? If you were the other team or somebody, should this have been listed that he had a hand that was bothering him? 
Well, I don't really care, to be honest with you. If he plays, he plays. We're not going to play against him or treat him any different if his right wrist is sore. So it really doesn't matter to me um, if if the injury is reported or not. But my guess is, and you mentioned that the leaning in that the league has done to gambling is going to change the way things get reported. And I think we've seen, and you mentioned them, a couple of loopholes here where I agree with Mitchell Schwartz in that everybody is banged up to an extent and everybody has something that could go on the list. What I don't like is the entitlement that a lot of people come across with in that they think they need to know everything because the league now has embraced gambling. And so all these people that make every little bet on certain things, great. If you want to have that clean of a slate, then go bet on baseball or something else. But football is just not like that. If guys don't miss time, if guys practice fully and are not limited, I'm not sure that they need to be on there. So I think too much information is an issue. I think it then becomes cumbersome to the teams. What do we report? What do we don't report? From a competitive standpoint, I don't really care. I, I know if Joe Burrow shows up and before that injury... The Ravens were defending him the same. So that part doesn't matter to me. And, and maybe I need to see it better from the better standpoint per se. But I just don't think that now that the league has leaned into betting that every person now is entitled to every little information every step of the way. And, and so that's where my pushback comes from. Yeah, interesting. I noticed in our notes here, Randy, you, your notes on the Bengals were like, hey, all of the air disappointed disappeared immediately from both sides of the ball when he left the game. The defense wasn't tackling as well in the second half, and the Ravens really pushed it down their throats. So that lets you know a little bit how Burrow-dependent they are, what a leader he is for that team, what a needle mover he is, and and you can't fool the players. They know they know what he means to their team, right? I mean, it's a huge 100%. wind out yeah. of their sails. I think they know it, and they also know what, and again, I'm not beating up on Jake Browning, but they know what Jake Browning is compared to Joe Burrow, too. So, yeah, that's a hard one. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. That leads into my next point of discussion, staying in the AFC North with the news that Deshaun Watson is out for the season. Um... There's a couple ways we can attack this. I want to talk about Watson and his future, but uh, does the air not go out of their team to the same degree, I would guess? Even though Deshaun Watson's a big name and has been a star player in the past, it wasn't like he was carrying them this year. Maybe they have a better chance to ride this thing out? Well, I don't think there's any question they do. Deshaun Watson has been a Johnny-come-lately for them. Really hasn't even played well when he has played. And we all know how much rust he's tried to kick off from really being inactive for two and a half years. So I don't think that the same 
degree of uh, yeah. importance to the team that he's even in the Joe Burrow area code. So I do think they can come back from Watson being down. I feel bad for Watson having to probably miss now another half of a season. It's not going to help his long-term uh, production for the Browns, but I do think they are prepared to deal with it. Um, you know, PGA Walker, they've won games with. Uh, now this week it's going to be DTR. Whether they can win with him, I don't know. Yeah. But I think they at least are prepared uh, and have a defense that is not dependent on the quarterback being the star or or carrying them. And yeah. therefore, I think there's a couple differentiations between them and the yeah. Bengals. So we'll get to them and those replacement quarterbacks. But I just want to talk about Watson a little bit. We've seen him for basically yeah. six games in each of the last two years, and it hasn't looked great. Uh, yeah. I think that... He has certainly distinguished himself uh, with his toughness and willingness to play. He obviously wasn't right this year. Um, but what do you think of his outlook for 2024? This is sort of the second year in a row where it's like, okay, this year doesn't really count, but let's get him healthy and ready to go. Uh, are you? How worried are you about him ever being able to be good again? Well, I'm worried about it for sure. The bad thing is the Browns can't do anything about it. It's not like they can cut him or even not deal with him because they can't. As we know, his next three years are guaranteed at a cap dollar number of $64 million per year. That's hard to deal with. That's going to be 20% plus of their total salary cap. They knew that. I'm going to credit the Browns with knowing this because they negotiated this contract and have to have had a plan of how they want to deal with this. Um, what that is, time will tell, yeah. but they cannot get rid of Deshaun Watson. Um, it is what it is. It's problematic. Will he come back? I think he can come back, but there is a little bit of, of uh, mystery as to this injury, throwing shoulder. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a high probability that we ever see the Deshaun Watson that was seen in Houston for those last couple of years. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that ship has sailed. They are certainly pot committed, right? To use kind of a poker term here where uh, they yes. put so much into this that they can't really get out of it. And so they Not probably really, have, they can't. Yeah. So they really have uh, no choice, but to sort of keep buying into it. And the salary cap part to me uh, is manageable. If the owner's willing to keep spending, throwing money after money, because you can keep pushing the hits into the future caps. They've already redone his deal once without extending it. They could do something similar. They could add dummy years to it and kind of ride it out as the salary cap goes up. And if you're willing to make similar bets on other players, which they have been so far, uh, they like I mentioned in a column I wrote uh, for Thursday, they, they have 11 players on their roster earning $12 million or more per year. It's by far the most. It's, it's the most in the league, not by far. There's a couple teams close behind. Uh, but uh, they are willing to spend. So if they are willing, and they, and they also have good players. They have some good players on that team. So if you're willing to extend a bunch of guys and push money out, uh, they can definitely do that. And the question I have in the end is at the end of all of that, can Watson still hold up his end? Can he, I think he doesn't have to be a top five quarterback in the league, but I think you don't want him to be too much lower than the top 10 uh, for what you're paying him mm -hmm. to be able to really compete. And then, Oh, by the way, there's no guarantee you're going to stay as good on defense or offensive line. Things can happen to change that over the next couple of years while you try while you maybe pour more money in to buy yourself a bigger window. It's pretty fascinating. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And you might know the answer to this. What would be a question in my mind is where does their total team cap stand in 25 and 26 with his numbers penciled in there? Because let's face it, if he's got a $64 million cap charge, and if they don't push it out in the manners that you've mentioned, can they improve as a team? They've got to find ways to improve and to adjust and have some flexibility year in and year out. These guaranteed dollars, and, and that's a whole nother topic, but these guaranteed dollars are problematic. It it limits your versatility in how you build out your team because of the cap per se. We don't have a luxury tax like they do in baseball. We can't just say we're going to pay more than this and then pay a tax at the end of it. That's not the way it works. So I would be interested to see and, and study their cap as it extends out and see the other players who these 11 guys are who are paid the 12 million plus and see where those contracts expire. You know, I used to have a board in my office and I think most people probably do where it had your depth chart, you know, in depth chart fashion, but it had the contracts and the length of them listed out so that you knew what year deals expired, voided, or when you were going to have a void at a particular position. I'd be interested to see that for the Browns in going forward. I think they are what they are this year, and they're probably all are what they are next year. They're going to give Deshaun a chance to come back on that. But it's 25 and 26 that that I would want to know where they are with how it compares to these other high-paid players. And can we add to this team or not? Does anybody think they're a Super Bowl team right now? I don't. Maybe on defense, you can make a case that this defense can get you there, but they're going to have to find a way to improve their offense, even though their O-line is good. They're going to have to find, in my opinion, some better perimeter players and some more options on offense. Well, Josh Dobbs' performance with Arizona and now Minnesota was really not predicted by a lot of people, if I go back. I mean, it's easy now to say, oh, you had Josh Dobbs. You should have kept Josh Dobbs. I don't think we did a special podcast at the time saying, oh, my (laughs) gosh, how in the heck could Cleveland let someone of Dobbs' caliber go? Now, the Browns, though, obviously had a lot more information than we did. I think they wanted to get a pick for Dobbs because they're getting as many picks as they can after trading them all away for Watson. Uh, But they had Watson on their team. They had Dorian Thompson-Robinson on their team. They had P.J. Walker on their team, and they decided to get something for Dobbs. Now, do you have a pro? It's easy to second-guess that they should have kept Dobbs now. Do you think that's fair to do based on what we thought of Dobbs then? I don't know that I have a criticism of the deal with Dobbs. My criticism would be the decision to go with a rookie backup quarterback um, and and that's really what they decided to do yep. by moving on from Dobbs because they didn't have P.J. Walker when that decision is made. P.J. Walker was cut by the Bears and brought on the practice squad later. So that oh, yeah. wasn't part of it. Yep, um, you're right. So their decision was that DTR looked great in preseason. Let's go with it. Yeah, not so fast. There's yeah. a difference between preseason and regular season. And I know we'll get to this later, Mike, in, in the GM notebook, but There's a lot of these decisions that kind of don't pass the smell test for me. So who's deciding Ah, what, who's deciding what in Cleveland? I don't, I don't know yet. So I'm not ready to place blame. That's for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh, What do you know about him? Can Cleveland kind of keep being a six and three type of team with him? It's not like we, like we said, it's not like the pass game has been worth anything with Watson in there. He completed 14 of 14 in the second half against Cleveland, but look at the throws. There's a bunch of them behind the line of scrimmage. I think 11 of them didn't go more than five yards downfield. He couldn't throw. Uh, A couple of them were intermediate passes, 17, 18 yards down the field. Uh, But the pass game has not been uh, what has been sustaining them. So 
is the drop-off to even a Dorian Thompson-Robinson, is it more of a drop-off in name? What can he do? Can you give us a quick eval of him? Well, having studied him from college, uh, I can say this, and we all know he played for Chip Kelly at UCLA. Seemed like he was there forever. And he did improve as a starting quarterback. I remember looking at him his first couple years at UCLA, and I said, no way, this can't happen in the NFL, the way this kid's operating. And he got better. But I still think his accuracy is erratic. His ability to process is erratic. And some of that's just the natural adjustments to the NFL speed of the game. So you see that. Yeah, hasn't played. And they found that out. Hey, they already rolled him out one time as a starter. And they said, whoa, whoa, after a week, we can't do this. And yep. This is how P.J. Walker got installed. So um, I think what happened was P.J. Walker just made the mistake at the wrong time, which led them to possibly losing a couple games because of the untimely mistakes that he made. And so they figure, hey, we've given... DTR a chance now to catch his breath. It's going to be different this time around. He's a little more light on his feet. He's a little more dynamic athletically as than PJ is. So let's give him a roll and see where we're at. And hopefully they catch lightning in a bottle. I don't know. I mean, their 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 mo has isn't going to change. They're still going to run the ball. They're still going to have to play great defense. And guess what? Their defense is probably going to have to score like it did last week in Baltimore. Their defense scored on the pick six, so they're probably going to have to have that same formula going forward, regardless of who the quarterback is. But I just think at this point, Stefanski thinks he can manage DTR better than he was able to manage PJ Walker. Joe Flacco in for a workout that had to get you excited, huh? Yeah, I was all stirred up on that one. Holy mackerel. Joe Flacco, who, no disrespect, we understand his career. He rolled the dice. He was the highest paid player in football. But I think he's outstayed his way way in the NFL about by three years. Okay, He got a few <laughs> and, extra years? Yeah, he's got a few extra years. In fact, we know how bad the Jets have been wanting a quarterback. They wouldn't even have him back. And that was his last stop. So that is an indicator right there that even the Jets, where he spent the last better part of the last three years with them, they wouldn't even take a bite, another bite of that apple. So I don't know. I just think it's a disaster plan option for Cleveland. I don't think Joe Flacco would come in there and play ahead of the two guys that are there. He's probably a third guy. And let's face it, when you get to your third or fourth QB in an NFL game or the NFL level, you're done. All right. Let's just face it. You're done. You can think you're smarter than everybody else and have a deeper roster, but you're done. Your, your third or fourth guys aren't going to factor in. Yeah, that's true. Except, you know, in this division, you take Burrow out, right? You got Kenny Pickett hasn't exactly been setting the world on fire. So in that division, I think Cleveland can still be the second team. Uh, possibly. We'll see how they're able to manage it. But maybe so. Crazy. Crazy. But Flacco, Flacco doesn't do it for me. I, I just, yeah. I think they're looking at, and this is, this is the point I think that you're seeing around the league and probably to some extent why Cincinnati settled on Jake Browning. The football acronym and the smarts is now becoming the number one critical factor in a backup quarterback. I heard uh, O'Donnell from the coach from Minnesota make the same remarks about yeah. their acquisition yeah. of Josh Dobbs in that they knew how smart this kid was. And and it, it, let's face it, it makes sense. They don't get any reps. They're not going to get any time with the first team, but they're going to be expected to play like the quarterback that just got hurt. And that's what you see in Dobbs. You saw a guy learn in two or three days. And these other guys that are now being mentioned, Jake Browning's the same way. I'm sure Flacco's the same way. He's going to have things sorted out in a matter of days, not weeks. And that's now a critical factor. So Dobbs, you know, is known for being so smart because he's the, you know, 4.0 guy, right? With the uh, internship with NASA, NASA. all this stuff. I mean, but what's been amazing about him is 
his running ability has been a huge part of this. So when, yeah. as you were saying, the smarts is a big part of it. I agree. That's that's typically what a lot of teams have have wanted in a backup quarterback, the comfort of, hey, we don't have to coach him to learn the system, even if he's not that yep. good. Like he can execute and he the offense. doesn't need reps. Yeah. yeah. doesn't need reps. He can execute our offense. We don't have to work as hard as coaches when we know. Yeah. Uh, that didn't that used to frustrate you, Randy, as a GM? The, the offensive line coach wants a 35-year-old oh, yeah. guy because he doesn't have to coach him, right? <laughs> doesn't have to now, coach him, yep. But I would say this about Dobbs. Like, he's running for all these plays. I don't remember Dobbs being this uh, known as Mr. Scrambler, but that's been a huge part of his game. Giant. And you saw the reaction of uh, the coach, right? <laughs> when he ran for that touchdown, he yeah. kind of just threw up his hands and said, I don't know what I just saw. I don't know what happened. You yeah, know? It, was re- it wasn't part of his evaluation either because that's above and beyond, right? What's the EPA on Dobbs running for a touchdown like that where Look he Mueller, gets away from- Mueller bring you know, an EPA up. I like this. Well, We're only because you're my co-host here. and you'll tell me what I'm actually saying. So. I love <laughs> it. No, that was outstanding. We are, you see, you're coaching me up. I, there's one or two things oh, I no. can bring you along but uh yeah it's good i know it's good okay it's good okay. dob scramble yeah. epa we'll look that up but that's a good yeah. one for him uh i love that kevin o'connell was mic'd up for that game i think and they had the yeah. camera on him sometimes that affects the authenticity but i thought it was still pretty authentic he's looking he's watching oh, yeah. dobbs execute this play and he's like oh he yeah. wasn't really going no 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 yes but it was kind of one yeah. of those what are we doing and he's like he just turned literally around. had his palms up literally had yeah. his palms up and shrugging his shoulders as to say i can't tell you what happened i don't know what he did no idea idea it's so, really yes. really fun it's it's fun for them so um yeah i could just keep talking about dobbs and the vikings as they go to denver <laughs> that's a fun one we were been talking about though you know backup quarterbacks and the team's prospects of that sometimes i'm pretty good with the segues randy to our next topic sometimes they're just right there and we just shift gears uh but i don't know that we have a great one for uh for shifting into the Bills, because uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they need Josh Dobbs or a backup quarterback. I think they're fine, obviously, with Josh Allen, but they're not fine in other ways, and that we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss the firing of Ken Dorsey there. And then, shoot, we had Stefan Diggs' brother tweeting stuff, just all contributing to the overall feeling of Bills' disarray. What do you make of it? Well, I think it's it's more fallout from the 13 seconds two years ago from that meltdown in Kansas City. And and I said at the time that might have been the greatest game I've ever seen. But I also thought those 13 seconds would be analyzed more in the annals of football for the next 50 years than any 13 <laughs> seconds ever. And I think that a lot of people have analyzed those 13 seconds on a lot of levels, not just for play. But for coaching, for strategy, for judging personalities, for for accountability, that 13 seconds is still haunting the Buffalo Bills, in my opinion. It's cost Leslie Frazier his job a year later. Um, I'm not saying that the 13 seconds is the reason Ken Dorsey got fired, but that we're, we learn about people in times of strife. And I think we're learning a lot about McDermott, the coach of the Bills, in times of strife. We're learning about accountability. Some are more accountable than others. Do you think it was Ken Dorsey's fault that they had extra guys on the field and that that's why the missed field goal got a second chance? Even the I mean, fumble and things. drop passes and stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't Just kind of like... read bad for me. It was kind of, oh, man, we're going to point the fingers here. I know this. There's no more fingers to point at. So if Sean McDermott doesn't get it settled, 
you might look at at uh, the bills and 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 them being in the market for for some amount of change. I'm not saying it's him, but I'll say this about Sean McDermott, and you might know him better than I do. I don't know the man; have never met him. He comes across to me as being very uptight, very. I cannot wait to to pass the buck. When they asked him after the game, Mike, about that. Uh, 12 man on the field, the first thing out of his mind was, well, we practiced that three times. We practiced that three times. That tells me he couldn't wait to shift blame to somebody else by saying, we practiced it. I had him ready. That's not my fault. We had him ready. That reeks of issues for me in the building. Um, most like of the in, time- Like an insecurity type thing? Yes, very much so. When coaches always jump to, hey, we practiced that, it's like they can't wait to get it off their plate and to blame somebody else. And that that- permeates with me a lot of times when I hear Sean McDermott and just kind of his roughness, his gruffness, his his demeanor when it comes to mistakes, when it comes to calling things out. I just never know how authentic that is. I'd love to see him just say once, hey, blame me for that one. Blame me for that one. I should have had us more prepared for that. You know, here's some other things I did that I wish I could have done yeah. different. But there's never any of that, at least that I hear from Sean McDermott. Well, sometimes he says, "Hey, I'm ultimately responsible," but then gives the three reasons why it was some, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, the special. That's what teams I mean. It's got to be authentic. Yeah, yeah, the special teams coach this last time, you know, on the substitution pattern on the on the twelve men on the field, that type of stuff. So, I have felt like Buffalo was a place we could feel some kind of an implosion possibly coming. If you were to go from thirty thousand feet and look at what they've done there, you would say Sean McDermott should have his name on the Ring of Honor and uh, should be able to be the head coach there as long as he wants. If we were just looking at this from, hey, look, when they got there, they hadn't been in the playoffs for seventeen years. He got there, they went to the playoffs right away, uh, and then they've even now a time of total crisis. Shoot, they're five and five. Half the league would love to be in the position there in five and five. That being said, I think what you're kind of getting at, and and if have alluded to is the idea of sometimes there's a shelf life in for mm-hmm. certain coaches in certain places. And I go back to even, even uh, Andy Reed who, who hired Sean McDermott in Philadelphia, there was a time uh, when his run in Philly, it was just sort of time to move on. We're talking a little bit about that with Bill Belichick after 20 years in new England, yep. maybe it is just time Uh this would be a pretty quick time for your time to be up, but given all of the water in the bridge, all the things that have happened there, uh, it may be a, a situation. Of, I guess if I was the GM, I wonder what would I be investigating and thinking? And you mentioned the accountability thing, but how do you balance the fact that Sean McDermott has a great record and has done a great job versus the feeling of, look, we just need to have something different and it's not personal. We just, it just may be time. You got to balance that, well, right? I think anytime a team underachieves, you, you put a, a reasoning or two on them, but if that doesn't hold water, then it sometimes can come back to that coach and his personality. Having been in some buildings where the coach is hard to deal with, um, it seems like there are more arrows coming those type of personalities way when it fails on the field because it's not warm and fuzzy because it's not a likable dude for the most part, yeah. whether that's with the media or sometimes even in the same building. It's hard to to garner support sometimes um, if if others feel that way in the building, especially. So it's a struggle. I think 
at some point, at the very least, and I don't think Sean, I don't think he's in trouble. I don't think he's going to get fired. I think he would have another year beyond that. But I do think at minimum, they need to freshen up the offensive scheme. I think they're going to have to find a way to better present Josh Allen and his skill set with something that works on a more consistent basis. And I think if nothing else, maybe they go back to a little bit of that wild carny ride that that he's taken them on to where I just feel like Josh Allen has kind of been beat down to where now the swagger isn't what makes Josh Allen. I'm all for not throwing picks and, and for yeah, taking care of the him. ball. He, I know, but him. he is, he is. But there were a couple last week that weren't his fault either. The one that, that bounced off the receiver's hands. There's a couple other uh, turnovers that not necessarily all on him, but I just think that he needs to be given a certain amount of rope to be Josh Allen too. He's not running like he used to. He's not. And again, we're critical of this because he put his body in harm's way. So there's a fine line between reeling him in and letting him be Josh Allen. So I do think but, there's yeah. some freshness needed. I just don't know if Joe Brady's going to be the answer, but that's the only option I guess they had this year. See, I see the freshness though needed with the whole program. We talked as we talked last well, I agree week when Dorsey was under fire. We both agreed the offense wasn't really the problem. Sure, there's things you could change, but we, they've gotten some age on defense, and then the overall tenor of the leadership. Uh, there I just don't think concern. it's going to happen. I agree with you. I just don't think it'll yeah. ever happen like that. Okay, I think he carries so much weight. And here, here's another one: who is really in charge? I do know the owner's in charge because he owns the team. So it's a matter of who has his ear oh, yeah. and how, how settling is the, is the case made for, hey, is this the right long-term direction for us? You know, I think the rest of the season is going to be pivotal on this because if they come out and have no emotion and lose to the Jets or you know, just don't look like they've got any punch to them, uh, mm-hmm. that will be read into the evaluation, in my opinion. I think yeah. that we need to see how does this team, does this team rise up? Do they... Do they have any fight to them? Is there any substance yeah. to this? Or are they just going to go down and then a blaze of, you know, mistakes and not taking full accountability and all of that type of stuff? Sometimes the player's reaction to this tells you kind of the way they feel about yeah. leader, leadership as well. So that will be interesting to watch. Uh, effort, uh, all that stuff. Yeah. I haven't loved the reaction right. of what people are saying. Yeah, that could be right. I don't know. I can ask you: Does the Stefan thing, Diggs thing, raise your uh, antenna at all? Oh, yeah, Just that's with his brother and all for that. Sure. And and then Definitely. then when he was asked about it, he didn't really say. He didn't really stand up for Josh mm-hmm. Allen or anybody else. He just basically said, "Hey, I didn't say it." I think in, there's some feeling that he probably thinks he had a lot to do with making Josh Allen. Well, his brother and, obviously uh, does. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I don't where know. do you think? I, I do think that? your your description of disarray is true, and I would like to keep a close eye on the effort level of these players the next couple of weeks. You, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. And I always felt that Stefan Diggs was a shelf life player too. And obviously was Well, obviously it was in Minnesota. Yeah. And is in Buffalo. And so there's just a whole shelf life idea of Buffalo to me with head yeah. coach, with situation and all yeah. of that. Uh, and so, like I said, we got a lot of season left. It's not done. They have talent on the team, but if I'm watching as the owner, I need to see some signs of life here. I need to see that we're not just going down in a in a, a nosedive. Because if we are and we don't pull out of it this year, I don't know what makes me think we're pulling out of it next year. That's just my point. So I agree with you. And it sounds like a column for The Athletic there about yeah. framing it as who has the owner's ear. Yeah, could be. Could be. All right. Let's stay in the AFC. We've talked about Joe Burrow's health 
being up and down. Now it's down. We talked about the Bills being in some form of crisis. We talked about the Browns quarterback situation. The Chargers are obviously faltering. The Steelers are kind of, eh, whatever. The Jets don't have Rodgers. So obviously everybody should be talking about how the Jaguars are ready to make a deep playoff run, huh? <laughs> uh, they're... Uh, uh, Mr. Well, GM, but it's hard to do after they lost 37-3 to or whatever last week. But I just think the Jaguars are kind of an interesting team. It has a good record, but I'm not sure how good they are. What do you think? Well, when you mentioned to me this a couple days ago, I did dive mm-hmm. into the film room where I get a lot of my answers. Mm-hmm. And I, I probably agree with you to a certain degree. But I came out of this film room with a bad... Uh, a bad taste in my mouth if I'm the Seahawks or the Rams or the Cardinals, because guess what? The 49ers are back, buddy. I'm telling you, they are back and they are back on defense. And they came out of the gate against the Jaguars last week with five down linemen. I thought I was watching the Chicago Bears, man. They came out and came after Lawrence and, and there was no prisoners. They started fast. They pressured him. The, the Jaguars were caught totally on their heels, got punched in the jaw, and had no response. This game was over early, and as evidence, 34-3, it was about that close. I think the, the 49ers, uh, Javon Hargrove, who we heard a lot about in the offseason when they acquired him, but not so much up until now, he, he decided he wanted to play last week. Chase Young, great addition. They were lining up all over the place. They now alternate seven guys up front alone. And they gave the Jaguars fits. So I thought that game was much more about the 49ers being ready for primetime than the Jaguars not. And so I agree okay. with you. I think the Jaguars aren't ready yet, but they, I think, can learn from this. I think this was awakening for them. They got slapped around. I think they would be the first to admit it. Um, they weren't ready for it. And I think it was a learning step for them. In fact, we'll see when we get to our picks. Uh, I'm not ready to give up the ship on the Jags yet. But I do think that the story for me coming out of that game was more about the 49ers than it was about the Jags. So great. I'm going to balance your film work with a little bit of stat work here. Uh, Oh, there we go. There's a shot. We're going to have some numbers. Well, this year, just big picture, the Jaguars are better statistically on defense and special teams than where they were last year. Uh, I got you. And I'd agree with that on film, too. But... But statistically, the offenses around the league that have gotten the worst from last year, year over year, are the in this order: the Giants. We could all see that. The Browns. They were actually better with Brissett last year. They've been really bad on offense. The Chiefs, who are still pretty good on offense, but were amazingly good before. So we're not as overly worried about them. But the Jaguars, who were probably decent on, pretty good on offense, and are now are not. Uh, then the Raiders, Jets, and Panthers. So the problem I have with this is. We were hanging our hat coming into the year that Trevor Lawrence is ready to go. Next step. Here yeah. we go. This guy's ascended. He's already now now he's moved into the top 10 or 12 quarterbacks in the league. And by the end of this year, we're going to feel like he is knocking on that door to get into the top tier of quarterbacks in the league. And I think if anything, we don't we would feel like he's the same or, or falling off some. Doug Peterson did mention that he's had a knee injury, which we know, and we give him credit for playing through that. Uh, but what are you seeing about him? Do you want to bet on this offense that was supposed to be good? And I don't think it's been good. Well, they did win, was it five straight before last week? So yeah. it, it was good enough. But I would say this to concur with what your numbers are telling you. He did flush early. He's not as accurate on the move. 
I just feel like they pressured him uh, to the point where he made some bad decisions. So I agree with you there, but here's the other side. I don't know if anybody else has a defense like the 49ers and can do that to him. So I think the 49ers personnel allow them a lot of ways to affect the quarterback. And they were able to get to Trevor Lawrence. I don't know that some of these other teams can do it. So um, again, I go back to, to the way the 49ers physically handled them up front was the key for me. So I think the Jaguars have to bow their neck a little more. And if their offense is going to be next level, they need to be more physical. They need to be able to run the ball against good teams. And they didn't do either last week. This season, they've had four like horrendous games on offense. San Francisco, Kansas City, Indy, and Pittsburgh. They've been kind of a little below average on offense against Atlanta, New Orleans, and Indy. They were kind of a wash against Houston. I think there were some turnovers involved there. And they had they had a really good game on offense against Buffalo. I guess I would just like to see at some point this season that they have some good games on offense. And yeah. when you've basically had one good game on offense uh, to this point in the year, um, that's just a little bit concerning to me. So definitely going to have my eye on them and what they're going to do from this point on. They've got Tennessee this week see where the Titans are at. It should be a good opportunity for the Jaguars, but I'm just a little, I agree the 49ers were a big part of that story, but the Jaguars were coming off a bye too. So no um, doubt. I I think this though, Mike too, and this is bears watching. We know the second half of NFL seasons are all about adjustments and whether it's offensive adjustments or defensive adjustments, teams are going to figure out what you're doing. Coaches are really good at the NFL level, especially when you play teams twice. So we're going to see, and we're going to get some answers as to what you're saying. But, hey, they're 12 first downs, 221 yards all day, gave up five sacks to the 49ers. I'm not sure everybody can do that to them, but they're going to have to make some adjustments, no doubt. I'm with you there. All right. Lots of great stuff so far here, Randy. Let's dive into the GM notebook. Got a few items in there. You alluded to one of them. What do you got? Well, there's a couple of them that might spin off a little bigger conversation as well. But um, I wrote a column this week for The Athletic about a possibility of the Patriots trading for a coach um, as opposed to just signing one on the street or finding one that's available through traditional ways. If they move on, yeah. And and I thought maybe if they deem they need change in New England, then it might be worth uh, them giving a pick or trying to find a way to get Mike Vrabel from Tennessee. At the same time, I could see Robert Kraft, if he feels like his shelf life in New England is expired with Bill Belichick, to trade him somewhere. And so I was thinking, where might be an interesting place for Belichick to end up? And I've read a couple possibilities out there. Uh, Commanders was one. Carolina was one. I've also heard the Chargers and somebody saying he's a front runner there. I can probably dispel that one in that I don't think the Chargers would ever, one, pay for a a Bill Belichick-type price tag, or two, give up that kind of a structure to let him come just right. run the whole show. That's not their MO. So I don't think that's a great fit. Uh, but I do see some possibilities with the Washington Commanders or Carolina in that regard. Two uh, ownership groups that might be willing to to uh, give to get. And I think that those are possibilities. I don't know what you thought about yeah. the Washington Commanders or Carolina. I'd like to know, Mike, your feelings too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Washington's one. And in fact, I, I there's a few people in the league I talk to that have some have their eyes on New England a lot, have a good feel for that. And one of my conversations maybe a month ago was 
the guy I was talking to was kind of saying he was predicting Washington a little bit for him too. And mm-hmm. as a new ownership group that could use uh, some gravitas and some guidance of how the things work in the league, and you would you would be bringing in somebody who knows that better than anybody, and just saying, "Hey, here you go. We've got now strong, focused leadership in our building." It reminds me a little bit of you know Vince Lombardi at the end, after he was right. done with the Packers, ended up with Washington, and then tra- and they had I think they had a winning record, might have been a playoff team his first year, and then he uh, unfortunately was stricken with cancer, and and that was it. He he died rather quickly after that, but uh, there'd be a little bit of historical symmetry there for a great all-time coach going to the nation's capital to get a historic franchise going again. I think uh, if it is, I think for Belichick, it would be, I would think the, the flagship franchise thing would be kind of neat to him, like a, like a, a giants or a bears type team or a commanders type team, possibly not ruling out a Carolina type of thing. But I do think that is interesting. Think of it. Here's one thing I wondered about though. So we heard the, the report coming out, you know, that let's just say Belichick has one more year in his deal with new England. Right. Um, if you are, if you were Belichick, you would kind of have to agree with a trade destination. And you'd have to agree with the, the terms of it because you don't want to go somewhere that's giving up too much to get you. Uh, oh, well, I totally agree. So yeah. what? how much control would he have? Let's just say it's a relatively amicable split, amicable split, but it's going to be a little tense when you're moving on. Why would Bill Belichick play along with it? Would it be because uh, Robert Kraft then could make him sit out a year by not letting him go somewhere? Or how, how would that work? Would Belichick have any any pull in it. I don't think Robert Kraft would do anything without Bill's blessing. So I do think it's something they would have to work together on for sure. And let's don't forget, how did Kraft get him? He traded for him. (laughs) So so they already think second and third level. So I, I do like that about this. I agree with you on the Washington fit. The structure in Washington doesn't change because the current standards there are the GM and the, all the people answer to the head coach anyway. So that doesn't change. Um, I do think that if Bill knew that Robert Kraft had any inclination that he wasn't the guy, he would want to go somewhere else. And I don't think he wants to sit out a year at his age. So right, that, yeah. all those factors tell me that you know he's probably willing, if Robert doesn't want him, to make a deal somewhere else. And then it's his goal, if he once he settles on where he wants to go, to get that team to pay as little as possible. Uh, it would be a fascinating set of dynamics for sure. I just want to see Bill Belichick behind the podium there after the game uh, in Washington when the reporter says, hey, what did you think of Magic Johnson's tweet about your red zone <laughs> offense? I would just like to see that uh, after the game. That would be kind of I don't think Magic will be tweeting that if that's the case. I really don't think we get that <laughs> to that level. I don't think he cares about what Magic thinks about how we played and the intensity we used and everything else and yeah, how same. we practiced that week. Yeah. No yeah. disrespect to Magic. I love him, but oh, yeah. we all got to okay. stay in our lane. Well, I don't know. Magic likes to, Magic's a pretty big guy himself here, too. He likes to tweet after the game, so I was half kidding, but it's kind of fun. Uh, what else he got in the notebook? Well, the second thing I had in there, it kind of ducktails off of what we just talked about. GMs around the league get credit and blame for a lot of things, but fans should always, I think, try to consider uh, before they heap praise or kill their own GM from that standpoint, you got to understand where the structure is and the control that some of these guys have or don't have. Uh, 
The Watson deal made me start to think this through is who would in, in our organization make sense of a deal like this? Any football mind would not want to guarantee a, a, a contract like this for five years. This has to come from a baseball point of view or another professional sport point of view. So it, it brought me back to, we all know that Andrew Barry is the GM, but Paul D. Podesta, who's grown up in baseball and has been known as an analytics guy in baseball, has the owner's ear there too and may have a lot more clout than any of us know. This move kind of had his fingerprints all over it for me. So before we beat up Andrew Barry, I just think we got to consider the ownership group and who has his ear. And so I don't know in this case what happened, but take it to the next most recent area of, of criticism is in Carolina where Scott Fitter is getting criticized for picking Bryce Young. We don't know where ownership came in on this. You and I saw a couple videos the last week or so that led us to believe that the owner was heavily involved in Carolina. And I think most would surmise it that covered the team because his explanation of the probability charts that they studied on Bryce Young giving them the highest probability of winning Super Bowls made me not chuckle. It made me laugh. Plural I'd like to know where those probably, yeah. yeah, I'd like to have those pearls of wisdom because I think any team would love to have the probability charts in front of them before they drafted anybody for any reason. I just don't think that's realistic. And so I just think you've got to understand how these GM's hands are tied or not. I know this. I spent 35 years in the league myself. I had really unfettered ability to build my own team one time. And that was in 2000 with the New Orleans Saints, one time. So that was lasted for three seasons, three drafts. And, and I was a GM, most thought, in Seattle and by title in Miami. But I never really had full control of everything that would amount to a team build. So most of these guys in the league, I'm going to say most of them, about a third of them don't still have final say in control. So all I'm asking is that people realize before they start slinging arrows, how is my team set up and do I really know who's pulling the strings? Yeah. Yep. I think that is a hard thing sometimes to know where the, it's hard, it's hard to know where to always give the credit to. And it's hard to know sometimes where to give the blame to. And some of that is, you know, conveniently masks the responsibility you know, for who did it or who wanted to do it. We don't really know. 100%. I've always felt like, you know, I've always kind of, I'm interested in the evaluation of owners too, right? And just what's the best yeah. way to evaluate them. And so- In some instances, Mike, even the cap guy who operates behind the scenes, but he has the owner's ear and can control whether deals get done or not. In some places, that yeah. guy has a lot more weight than people realize. Yeah. He can always say, hey, I couldn't get it done. We couldn't get to the right number, blah, blah, blah. I've done- yeah thousands of deals. I know if a deal can get done or not. I've had to pull the plug on several deals because I just didn't think it was responsible. But I know that the guy who actually has the pencil and negotiates those deals to yeah. acquire players has a lot of clout in the room. And that never gets talked about because a lot of times, hey, one place I was for 10 years, I felt like the cap guy controlled everything. And that's just the way it was. And that never gets talked about. And then the cap guy stays when everyone else gets fired. Forever. Got a lifetime job. It's a government work. Got a jo job forever. Anyway. 
The yeah. third thing in my in my notebook was, and I know we're running out of time here, so I'll try to make this quick, but I wrote this again for The Athletic this week, was the contract of Dak Prescott and kind yeah. of where we're at with Dallas. You helped me a ton on this column because we did a little research on some numbers and figured out why Dak might have had an improved production the last couple of weeks. Uh, Mike McCarthy's adjusting on offense, making C.D. Lamb available in certain ways, uh, actually giving maybe Dak more rope to run and throw uh, differently than he had the first two months of the year. I just feel like, and we all know Jerry is driven sometimes by public perception and he cares about what people say. Why not go ahead and give him that $50 million deal? You know, it's coming. They don't have any other options in Dallas to find another quarterback. So you're Talk saying, hey, when he's playing well, it's the time to do it because it'll be received. it'll be received better than if you happen to do it after they lost in a playoff game or something. Or in the offseason when people are talking about it for months. The last time they did it, everybody criticized him for months. He's not worth this. He's not worth that. Well, I think if, if you really care about that, go ahead and extend him now. You'll know where you are from a cap standpoint before you get into next year's cap year. So before February, you'll know if you have room and space and all that. And, and get it out of the way while he's playing really good. I don't think it's going to be reflective of you got to overpay now just because he's had two or three yeah. above average weeks. I just think it makes sense. And maybe I'm nuts, but I thought it'd be a good time for, for them to, and maybe they have, open up talks with Dak and see if he couldn't make a deal. I've been very interested in Dallas this year. I think we know what Dak Prescott is, uh, for better and yeah. worse. I mean, he's obviously yep. played a long time. I was kind of interested in the transition to Mike McCarthy and I think the conventional wisdom of, you know, uh, kind of fan or media was that, oh, they were losing Kellen Moore. That could, uh, you know, that, that might be bad for their scheme. Uh, and I had a little bit more of an open mind and I really wasn't sure. I think there, I think like we said early in the year, maybe there was too much of a reaction to uh, let's keep the interceptions down. But I just wonder if over the course of the year the you know, they're riding high now, but can they kind of find a spot that's the right calibration for everything? Uh, CeeDee Lamb's obviously playing great. And as a player like that has success, you know, they buy in more and they, they get some momentum and they're excited to come to work. Uh, I wonder if, I wonder what this Dallas season will be ultimately. Could they, I, I kind of felt coming into the year as we looked at the NFC and just thought, you know, it wasn't that great beyond a couple of teams. Uh, I, you know, I've I always kind of wondered coming into this year, could this be the year that they go a little bit deeper, uh, uh, you know, in the playoffs? So I don't know where you're at on that. I think we need to see the second half of the season. But I guess you probably feel a little better now than you did a month ago. Well, for sure. The, the uptick in Dax play, who I think went from average to fairly way above average, has been awesome. And I think it's been easy to see why, especially when you study the numbers. But play it out even further in your scenario. Let's say they they fall off a cliff. There's going to be cries for a new quarterback. They're not going to get a new quarterback, Mike. It's just not. It's not going to be available. Who are you going to sign? Kirk Cousins to be a, a Dak, and you're going to have to pay him fifty million. I'd rather have Dak. So I just don't think the options are going to be available, regardless of where this team goes for the last six or seven weeks. I just think they are what they are, yeah. and Dak has them in a corner right now. Yeah, maybe they can draft one, but they're going to be picking at the end of the first round. So unless they strike gold with a quarterback in round two, maybe like they did with Dak. It's not going to change. If, if you were starting a new franchise or, or if you were a, not the Cowboys, if you were another team, you would probably take Cousins over Dak, right? But you're saying if I was Dallas, I wouldn't make a change to Cousins. That's what, is that what you're saying? Correct. I yeah. would not make a change. And yeah. I'm not sure I would take either if I was starting a new franchise. Right. Well, sometimes just, it's just whoever you can have, you know. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's my point. It's whoever you can have. What do yeah. they say? You got to love the one you're with. And this is it. This is the They better love him up because they're going to take a big step back if it's not Dak. And I don't think Jerry or anybody else is willing to do that, nor should they. I know Mike McCarthy's not going to want to start to train a new quarterback in no. where he's at in his career and, and his time with the Cowboys. I thought this was a big legacy year for Mike McCarthy, and it still can be in that he really was seen in a very positive light with the development and excellence of Aaron Rodgers. Then by the end of that, he was kind of seen as, you know, it, that he was, that it was stale and he was criticized offensively. Then he comes to Dallas and he's not really doing anything because he wasn't calling the offense and, or the defense. And, it, and they didn't, they've won, but they haven't really won, you wouldn't say because of something he's done. But I thought this season could be interesting for him if they were to make the Super Bowl or Dak Prescott were to really flourish or if their offense was to be appreciably better than it was under Kellen Moore. I think it, I think it's notable and it still remains to be seen, but it's at least trending in the positive direction now. I know playing the Giants isn't that big of a deal, but they've, you know, they've they've had some decent weeks here. So uh, they've that played well. Of- and I agree with you. I think it is a referendum on Mike and, and yeah. I think it'll be a positive referendum the way it's trending that way anyway. Yeah. Well, talk about trending positively. I mean, after we really took on the chin and the picks a few weeks ago, but we've battled back, Randy. We are, you talk about parody, parody in the league, (laughs) parody in the picks. Uh, I went 2-0 last week to get to 13-13 and after that. I had that disastrous, I think I had an 0 for four week once, the Hail Mary week. I was right on Indy and I was right on Minnesota. Randy, you are 11, 11, and 1, <laughs> where we got our heads just above water, barely. Uh, you were 1 and 1 last week. You were correct on Cleveland. I was worried for you for some of that game. Let me tell you, when that, <laughs> when that, when Zay Flowers broke open in the second quarter and Lamar threw that ball, if they catches that, yeah. I think the game's over, lights out. It was a little bit overthrown. So Cleveland was able to come back. And then you had Jacksonville, too, which it looks like, sounds like you might uh, stick with them this week. What do you got? Well, yeah, let's talk about that game, and, and we can both give our sides of the coin because yeah. it looks like we're going to be yeah. on different sides of it. We're going to go head-to-head, and, and I am going to double down on Jacksonville. I'm going to take yeah. them, and I'm going to give the seven points versus Tennessee. I think Jacksonville's seven. defense, yeah, I think they will have a field day with Will Levitz. I think Will will struggle, and I think the Tennessee defense is not the 49ers defense. So I think you'll see more of a Trevor Lawrence um, uptick. Yeah. I just think they'll be better. Um I, again, I don't want to overemphasize, but what I saw was the 49ers yep. playing really good. And I just think Jacksonville's better than that and better than they showed last week. So yeah. I think it's more of a one-off than a trend. So I'm going to take Jacksonville. I'm going to give you those seven points because it sounds like you're going the other way. Well, you, I, I'm going to have to stick with my pick, but you you have made a compelling case for me not to. Oh. And I don't feel good about Tennessee, but I reserve the right to pull that money back when, you, you when can, you're before yeah, the, you can. Before can. I don't want to get ahead of the horse. Before the cards are dealt, I can pull my chips back. I can put another yeah, chip on top. I don't want to shame you into having to chips. stick with your pick, for sure. I could do a side bet, you know, a, uh, <laughs> over suited, and under bet? suited side bet. If I'm talking about like a blackjack table, I, uh, <laughs> they haven't started dealing yet. So this could be yeah, dealing. Buddy. This could be counting as dealing because you have your cards here shown. Okay, so, so you right, want to reserve, you're we'll going to reserve your right and you want me to tell you my other two picks. Yeah, yeah, tell the other two. Okay. The other two picks for me are, I'm going to take Pittsburgh getting 1.5 with Cleveland. Uh-huh. I think no matter who the quarterback is for Cleveland, I think it's going to be a struggle. I think that whole division has been turned upside down. Again, I hate picking Pittsburgh because I have zero faith in Matt Canada, but I do like <laughs> Kenny Pickett and think he can overcome the OC. What are you grinning about? Wow. Are you a fan of, of the well, offense no, that you, the Steelers are running? 
No, I'm not at all. I don't know how you could take. I mean, I I don't know what I I would probably take Cleveland in the point and a half, but um, I'm getting a point and a half. I do want to talk to you about your your love for your love for Kenny Pickett because you have been high on him, and I I'm kind of with you on that. That maybe in a different setting, you know, he'd be okay. You're yeah. taking him to overcome. So, uh, okay, so I got I got you on that. I'm smiling a little bit. That one, would make, <laughs> that one would make me a little nervous. Your Jacksonville pick makes me less nervous. This one makes me a little nervous, but let's let's hear the rest of it. My third pick is one in the, that's the game of the week. And, and I, I normally stay away from Kansas City, Philly type games because both teams are really good. The point spread is really down. But I just think this is a time that Kansas City is going to make a little stand. So I'm going to pick Kansas City given the two and a half against Philly. I think Cincinnati's def- or, uh, Cincinnati, I think Kansas City's defense is playing at a high level at all three levels, in the secondary, up front, and at linebacker. So I like the Chiefs in this game, and I don't mind giving less than a field goal, so two and a half, two Philly. So I'm taking Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, and Kansas City. You know, Trent McDuffie's done pretty well with Kansas City. Do you know anyone who had him as their number one corner in that draft coming out? <laughs> well, you never know. Even I the blind heard. squirrel finds an acorn every no, now and then. No, Mueller, man, you're good. You're good. You, uh, Isaiah Likely, all these guys that that end up being good for the most part. Now, Pickett was another one, but we got a good reason on him, the offense around him with that scheme. But I like I like the chief defense. I'm with you. Yep. Um, so here's the games that I got. See what you, you think. I'm going to take Arizona with the five points. Now, I think Houston may win the game. Uh, but just to me, Kyler Murray looked pretty darn good athletically. I was surprised mm-hmm. at his quickness, mm-hmm. his, his boldness, his willingness to run. I think Arizona coaches pretty well. Uh, you know, I think they've had a, a bare cupboard this year to work with, with new quarterback or, or backup quarterbacks. And I think they have to be pretty excited by what they saw from Kyler Murray. I'm not saying he had a perfect game by any means, but he looked like he belonged out there. It wasn't too fast for him the first game out. He didn't look rusty from a movement standpoint. So I, I'm totally buying the Houston excitement, love CJ Stroud, but they did lose to Carolina. You know, I, they're not the perfect team. So what do you think? I'll take Arizona in five points and just yeah, uh, Houston may win I the game. I can't dispute but, that. Yeah. I, I agree. I think Kyler looked good last week, especially for yeah. for having uh, first game out of the box. So I'm with you. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that whole situation with him and them. Uh, so that was one. I will not pull back my money on Tennessee taking seven. I don't love this one. Uh, uh, but I do believe in the general overall trend that I don't think Jacksonville has been uh, – that good, especially on offense. Uh, I think they'll be better. But division matchup, Titans, mm-hmm. I looked up, they've covered just twice in their last seven games, just once in their past four division games. Even I think that goes back to last year, and that was against the Jaguars in Jacksonville. So it is a big week for the Jaguars. I think they maybe they're going to have their San Francisco bounce-back game. That really could happen uh, here, but... I think it would. I would feel bad pulling back the money because of your bet. I think that would be, and I'll just go with it. I'll take Tennessee, and seven is a decent amount of points. I also have down Kansas City, giving two and a half. I do Kansas City radio every Thursday. I, I they put me on the spot for the pick. I think I had twenty four to twenty or twenty seven, twenty three, that type of a game. At at which point, Randy, the host blurted out, oh, Sando's taking Kansas City to cover, and I didn't really think of it that way. But, but I guess I sort of am. Before you could f- take it back? Yeah, yeah, no, I feel like Philly, though, is has done great, but is fortunate to have their record so far. I think this is just one where they kind of go back to 8-2, and two, and it's, no, it's not, no panic or anything. Yep. But Kansas City at home with 
you know, in a, on a national TV game with Andy Reid. I know both teams had two weeks, but Andy Reid two weeks. Uh, yeah. Mahomes sort of feeling and talking about after the last game, we've got to get this offense going. They've had some time to probably work on some things. Uh, yep. So I would take Kansas City. Maybe they only win by a field goal. Maybe they win by more. But I feel okay with it at two and a half. I feel okay with it at two and a half. The last one I'm going to take is is I'll take the Chargers and give the three at Green Bay. And I'm not a huge fan of, of what's going on with the Chargers. But I think the Chargers have lost in some of these games where they're playing really high-powered offenses, you know, mm-hmm. or they're, they're, they're getting into some games where, hey, it just doesn't quite go their way, but they're putting up points uh, in the games, right? In the Miami game early in the year, you know, yes, after the game we're talking about Brandon Staley's defense, but it's 36 to 34. You know, they're, 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 they're doing okay. They lose to Detroit, but it's a 41-38, or it really could go either way. And yes, at the end of the day, the Staley defense, you know, is not what it should be. But they're not playing Detroit or Miami this week. They're playing the Packers. And I think the Packers have not been the type of team that's been consistent enough offensively. We've seen some flashes. You see some things you like about Jordan Love. But they just haven't really put it all together. So to me, this is, I know I have to give three points, but this is a type of game where I feel like the Chargers, instead of they've been losing by two or three points to these super shootout game teams. I don't see a shootout. Do you? You see a shootout in this game? No, I don't. I don't think Green Bay is going to be in any shootout with anybody. So yeah, so I, I think, think the they're... Chargers probably, even if it's a little bit of a struggle, get their 24 to 20 or 24 to 17, or if it really mm-hmm. goes well, 27 to 13 type of game for them. I agree with and you. As I look at the Packers, I'm like, okay, are they going to be three and nine here? Or do they beat a decent team at some point? Their, their wins are Chicago, the Saints barely when they were down 17 points, the Staffordless Rams. They are three and six with the Chargers, Lions, and Chiefs up next. The league surprises us, Randy, and teams do rise up. But I don't know. Sounds like the Packers are probably need to be part of our show next week. I was just thinking of that today, like, hey, the Packers lose almost every week. I know they beat the Rams, but we don't really talk about it. We just take it in stride, like, you know, hey, it's another loss. And, uh, you know, watching, it's it's more than just, you know, obviously moving on from Aaron Rodgers, but the consistency of of the passing game and being able to yeah. complete some of these passes is disjointed for them this year. So. Probably is something to talk about. Maybe there's some new angle to it too, you know, and just looking at them and hey, maybe they beat the Chargers this week and there's less to talk about. But I do think that's something to have on our radar. You got anything else? No, I think that wraps it up. We're we've extended ourselves today, so hopefully our listeners enjoyed it and look forward to doing it again before we know it. I love the convo, Randy. I used to when we first started doing this. You know, I would be a little nervous going in about do we have enough things or uh, how's our notes, and it's really funny because like. Last night after the game, we had no notes put down. I mean, we're thinking about it. We're talking about it. But we go from – it's not like we're scripting the whole thing out. So I really enjoy that part of it. We're able to just kind of go in some different directions. We have a guide. We have a menu. But if we want to go off a little bit and something else comes to our mind, we can do that. We did that a couple times today. We left a couple things on the cutting room floor. We had a couple things yep. in there that maybe we'll hit in the future. But always a lot of fun. Best of luck to you with your picks. And – uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody, too. Next week with the Thanksgiving holiday, 
Uh, we will not be doing the Friday show. We've got the three games on Thursday, but we will not be doing the Friday show. So this will be our last time for a couple of weeks. We will talk to everybody then. And who knows how many quarterbacks will even be left in the league by then, Randy. We may be looking at, at a few more backups. Hopefully not, but it's been that type of A lot of, of things year. change in a short amount of time. We do know that. So We do know that. Happy Thanksgiving so, to everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. And everybody, you can find Randy's work. You can find mine both on The Athletic. You can search for us through the little author search there. And you can find us both on X at Randy Mueller underscore at Sando NFL. We'll talk to you next time. This was the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast.